Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called The Promised Land. And all throughout this series, we've been exploring different lessons the people of Israel learned as they entered into the promised land that can help us whenever we're facing times of change and transition in our lives. But in this episode, we're not just going to be looking at a story that takes place as the people of Israel enter into the promised land. We're going to be taking a look at a few different stories that play out all throughout the Old Testament. And from promising Abraham and Sarah that they'd have a baby when they were both over 90 years old, to telling the people of Israel to march around in circles to bring down the walls surrounding Jericho, to having David face a giant with just a sling and a stone, there are times when God asks us to do impossible things. But in this sermon, we're to be reminded that God has a habit of making the impossible possible. And we're also going to see why God does that. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So over the last couple of weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we have been working our way through a series of sermons called The Promised Land. And what exactly is the promised land? Well, in the Bible, the term promised land refers to the specific area, the place, that God promised to a man named Abraham and his descendants. And God promised that he would use Abraham and his descendants in this promised land to bless all the people and all the nations of the earth. So that's a pretty good working definition, working understanding of what the promised land is. But when I started working on this particular series of sermons several weeks ago, I ran across a description of the promised land that piqued my interest. And this is a description of the promised land that's found at least 20 different times inside of the Bible. So as best as I can tell, this is the most common description of the promised land in the Bible. And what is this description? Well, the promised land is commonly referred to as being a land that is flowing with milk and honey. The promised land is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And if you spend much time around the church, you've probably heard that description of the promised land right? But as I started working on this particular sermon, I decided that I wanted to learn more about this description. I wanted to learn more about milk and honey. And as I was researching milk and honey, I ran across an interesting article in Scientific America that was published back in 2017 that was about bees. And uh, in this article, the author talked about an experiment that was conducted to try to figure out what type of learning capacity a bee now, unless you're an entomologist, somebody who studies insects, you probably don't know this, but a bee has a brain that's roughly the size of a sesame seed. So with a brain that small, you wouldn't think that a bee would have a very big learning capacity. But researchers wanted to know for sure, because that's what researchers do. And so the lead researcher in this experiment, a guy named Ali Kola, who is an e- a behavioral ecologist at Queen's University in London, England, came up with an experiment to figure out what type of learning capacity a bee has. And the best way to describe the experiment that Dr. Lucola came up with is to call it incredible. And I mean that literally. The word incredible literally means for something to be so extraordinary that it seems impossible. And that's the kind of experiment that Dr. Lucola came up with to test the bee's learning ability. An experiment that was so extraordinary seemed impossible. So what was Dr. Lucola going to do with these bees? He was going to teach them how to play soccer. Yeah, he was going to teach these bees how to play soccer. 
And as soon as I read that in this article, I automatically couldn't begin to fathom how this guy actually managed to get funding for this research. Because I have a little experience trying to teach human beings how to play soccer. When Hannah was little, I coached her YMCA soccer team a couple of different seasons. And I can tell you from her personal experience, it's almost impossible to teach five-year-olds how to play soccer. Okay? So the idea that somebody was going to be able to teach bees how to play soccer just didn't seem possible at all. It seemed absolutely absurd to me. So as I continued to read the article, I just started trying to picture in my mind what it was like when Ali Lucola had to go to the office of the chair of his department at Queen Mary University in London and ask for funding for this particular research project. So I like to imagine that Dr. Lucola walked into the office with his nice, pristine, white lab coat on, and he had a presentation board in his hand. On one side of this presentation board, there was a picture of an average bumblebee, and on the other side of it was a picture of Pele, the world's greatest soccer player. And then Ali got into his pitch, and he said, Listen, I'm coming because I want to conduct some research to try to figure out the learning capacity of a bee. And the way that I want to go about that is I want to try to teach these bees how to play soccer. And I want you to find them. I can just imagine the look that the chair of that research department had on his face. I imagine it had to be the same look that I get on my face when I eat ice cream too fast and I get a brain freeze. You know, that kind of look. And once the, the, the department chair was able to regain his composure, I like to personally imagine that he looked back at Dr. LaCola and said, Ozzy, didn't we just deny your funding request to teach crickets how to play cricket? This is an absolutely ridiculous idea. This is about the craziest idea I've ever heard. This idea of trying to teach bees how to play soccer seems absolutely impossible. But then I started reading the scripture passage that we're going to be taking a look at this morning. And I started to realize that maybe this idea of teaching bees how to play soccer didn't seem quite so impossible after all. Let me show you what I mean. If you've got a Bible close by, go ahead and grab it and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And as you're finding it, let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Joshua. Now, the book of Joshua is written after the people of Israel have been freed after they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. The book of Joshua is also written after the people of Israel have spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness waiting to be able to enter into the promised land. But in the book of Joshua, the people of Israel, they're finally able to enter into the promised land. But once they do, it doesn't take very long before they run into a pretty big problem. And what is this big problem? Well, it's the city of Jericho. So here's what you have to remember. When the people of Israel returned to the promised land, this land that God had promised to them, there were other people that were living there. So the people of Israel had to reclaim this land. That meant that they were going to fight the people that were currently living there. And the first place that they go to is this city called Jericho. And the city of Jericho is what we would refer to as a fortified city. They have a wall that surrounds Jericho that is so thick that people are literally able to live inside of the wall. And this is the first place that the people of Israel go to after they start trying to reclaim the promised land. They go to the city of Jericho, the city with a massive wall. Archaeological research tells us that the wall that surrounded Jericho was at least 17 feet tall. 
It was at least six feet wide. And if that wasn't bad enough, we're also told that there was a moat that was around Jericho that was about 27 feet wide and nine feet deep. So in Joshua chapter 6, when the story picks up, Joshua and the people of Israel, they're outside the walls of Jericho. They're standing on the other side of the moat, and they're trying to figure out how in the world they're going to be able to breach the walls of Jericho so that they can fight these enemies and start reclaiming the promised land. And as you're standing there on the other side of a 27-foot long, 9-foot deep moat, and you're looking at these walls that are 17 feet tall, 6 feet thick, it had to seem like a pretty impossible task for the people of Israel. But in Joshua chapter 6, we're going to find out that God has an idea about how the people of Israel can breach the walls of Jericho. And ordinarily, when you find out that God has an idea, that should make you feel pretty good. It should make you feel pretty confident, because if God has an idea on something, then you're pretty sure it's going to work. But when you hear what God's actual idea was for how the people of Israel are going to breach the walls of Jericho, Let's just say it sounds every bit as incredible as thinking that somebody could teach bees how to play soccer. So, with that in mind, let's take a look at Joshua chapter 6 together. We're going to start reading in verse 2, and we'll see what God's incredible idea was. Joshua 6, verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have given Jericho and its king into your power, along with its mighty warriors. Circle the city with all the soldiers going around the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets made from seven rams' horns in front of the chest. That's the Ark of the Covenant that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. On the seventh day, circle the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Have them blow a long blast on the ram's horn. As soon as you hear that trumpet blast, have all the people shout out loud a loud war cry. Then the city wall will collapse, and the people will rise up, attacking straight ahead. So did you hear what God's idea was about how the people of Israel would breach the walls of Jericho? God tells the people of Israel to start walking around in circles around the walls of Jericho. God tells them to walk around in circles and that they need to play loud music while they're walking around in circles. And that's what they need to do to bring the walls of Jericho down. And that sounds impossible. Because it's walk around in circles, play loud music, and then shout, and the walls will come coming tumbling down. Now, I'll be the first one to admit, I may be a military kid, but I am not an expert in military strategy by any stretch. The idea of having people walk around in circles to breach an enemy, a fortified city, doesn't sound like a very good war strategy to me. Do you know what it sounds like when you have people walk around in circles playing loud music and shouting? It sounds like you have a musical chairs at a kid's birthday party. doesn't sound like a war strategy. This is what God asks the people of Israel to do, even though it seems impossible something that I've learned after spending nearly 15 years or over 15 years in ministry at this point. I've learned that God makes the impossible possible. God makes the impossible possible. I mean, let's just stop and think about this for just a minute, okay? So inside of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, we run across the story of God making a covenant, God making a promise with a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. 
God promises that he will use Abraham and Sarah, that he is going to make them the father and the mother of a great nation. God promises that he is going to use Abraham and Sarah to, and their descendants to bless all the people and all the nations of the earth. And he promises that he will give them more descendants than there are stars in the sky. But when Abraham's 100 years old and Sarah's 90 years old, you know how many kids they had? Zero. So it seems impossible that God could keep that promise. Or in the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel are finally freed after being enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and they start making their way back to the promised land, the land that was promised to them and to their ancestors, but we find out that it doesn't take long before the Egyptians change their mind about letting the people of Israel go. So the Egyptians send their army out to bring the people of Israel back and enslave them again. What that means is the people of Israel find themselves trapped between the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And it seems impossible that the people of Israel could escape. We're in the book of 1 Samuel. We meet Herod. We meet a boy named David. And we find out that David is going to be fighting a giant named Goliath. Because none of the soldiers in all of Israel were willing to stand up and fight this giant. Now, Goliath is a trained soldier. Goliath has never lost a fight. And David, David's just a boy. David, we don't even know if David has ever been in a fight. We know he's not a trained soldier. David doesn't own a sword or a shield. All he's got is a slingshot and a couple of stones. So it seems impossible that David could defeat Goliath. And I could keep going with biblical stories, but the truth is we don't even have to look back to these biblical stories to realize that, that God has a habit in the history of making the impossible possible. We just have to think back to what we've experienced over the last five years here at Melbourne Heights. About five years ago here at Melbourne Heights, we had to make a really difficult decision. We decided that we needed to sell our old building so that we could continue to do the work and ministry that God called us to do. But when we made that decision, we weren't just deciding to sell any old building. We made the decision to sell a building, the only place that our church had called home for 60 years. On top of that, that building was located off of one of the busiest streets in the entire city of Louisville, and it was in one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in this entire city. And if that weren't bad enough to leave behind a building like that, we also didn't know where we were going. We didn't have another building lined up. We didn't have a lease agreement signed anyplace. When we first started thinking about this, we thought maybe we were, we were going to worship in a hotel ballroom for a little while. But even that idea ended up falling through. So I have a feeling if somebody had come to you five years ago, if you were part of Melbourne Heights back then, and asked you if our church would still exist five years later, you might have said, that seems impossible. But before we get too wrapped up in these impossible situations, there's something else that I need to tell you about Ali Lupola and his experiment with those bees. And I need to tell you something else about God and the wall of Jericho. So like I told you a little bit earlier on, Ali Lupola developed this experiment where he was going to figure out the learning capacity of bees. And to do that, he wanted to teach them how to play soccer. And you know what? He actually did it. As impossible as it may seem, he actually managed to teach those bees how to play soccer. 
Now, I'm not telling you that Ali Pocola was like Ted Lasso, and I'm not telling you that he managed to teach those bees how to put on jerseys and shin guards or anything along those lines, because he didn't. What Ali Pocola managed to do was to teach bees how to take an itty-bitty soccer ball and put it into an itty-bitty net. And, and by definition, it's teaching a bee how to play soccer. And do you know what happened when the people of Israel did what God asked them to do? When they started walking around the walls of Jericho and playing their music, and when they shouted? Well, let me show you exactly what happens. So let's look back at Joshua chapter 16. This time we're going to start reading in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, On the seventh day they got up at dawn. They circled the city in this way seven times. It was only on that day that they circled the city seven times. The seventh time the priests blew the trumpets. Then Joshua said to the people, Shout because the Lord has given you the city. The city and everything in it is to be utterly wiped out as something preserved for the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute is to stay alive, along with everyone with her in her house. This is because she hid the messengers we sent. But you, keep away from the things set aside for God so that you don't desire and take some of the things preserved. That would turn the camp of Israel into a thing doomed to be utterly wiped out and bring it to calamity. All silver and gold, all with bronze and iron equipment are, the Lord, are holy to the Lord. They must go to, into the Lord's treasury. He shouted that, man, I don't know how he got all that out in one breath. Okay. But then the people shouted, they blew the trumpets. As soon as the people heard the trumpet blast, they shouted a loud war cry. Then the wall collapsed. The people went up against the city, attacking it straight ahead and capturing the city. So after the people of Israel had marched around in circles, after the people of Israel had played their loud music, after the people of Israel had shouted out, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. This story teaches us something that we need to realize. We need to realize that nothing is impossible. Is impossible for God. And you know what? This is something that God tries to remind us of from time to time. God has a habit of showing us that He can do the impossible, that nothing is impossible for God, because God wants us to know how great God is. I mean, just stop and think about it for a second. Think about what just happened in this story about the walls of Jericho coming down. When the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, all the people of Israel had done was walk around in circles and play loud music and shout. So was there any doubt why the walls of Jericho came falling down when they did? Because it wasn't because of something the people of Israel had done. The only reason the walls of Jericho fell was because of what God had done. God did the impossible, and God showed how great God is. Same thing's true when it comes to the story of Abraham and Sarah. I told you a little bit earlier on, God promised that he was going to use Abraham and Sarah, that they were going to become the father and the mother of a great nation with descendants that were more numerous than the stars in the sky. But when Abraham was 100 years old, when Sarah was 90 years old, they had zero kids. But when Sarah was 90 years old, 
she got pregnant, and they had a baby. So God did the impossible. God showed how great God is. That's what God did for the people of Israel when they were escaping from captivity in Israel. When the Egyptian army decided they didn't want to let the people of Israel get away, so they started chasing after them with an army. And the people of Israel were trapped between the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other, and it seemed like there was no way that they could possibly escape. God parted the Red Sea, opening a path for the people of Israel to cross over to the other side. God did the impossible, and God showed how great God did when David fought Goliath. When David fought Goliath, Goliath was this great giant who was a professional soldier who had never lost a fight. And here David was, just a boy who wasn't even big enough to hold a sword or wear any armor for himself. He goes out into battle with nothing but a slingshot and a few stones. But when David wound that slingshot up and let that stone fly, God did the impossible. Goliath fell. God showed at Melbourne Heights over the last five years and throughout our history together. I mean, just thinking back over the last couple of years, it's not that hard to see God doing the impossible for us. Just a couple years ago, when the pandemic was first starting up in 2020 and the whole world around us was shut down, you realize at that point in time, there was almost no commercial real estate that was selling anywhere. Nobody wanted to buy commercial real estate because nobody knew if they were going to have a business that was going to be operating or functioning, if people were returning to work or how long it would be. But in the height of the pandemic, we finalized the sale on our church building as a commercial property. But God did what seemed to be impossible. God showed how great God is. Or when we reached a point in the pandemic where like it was finally going to be safe for us to start offering an in-person worship service again. And we found out that hotel ballroom we had wanted to go to wasn't going to be an option for us any longer. It seemed like it was going to be impossible for us to find a place where we could start meeting as, as a church again. But within just a couple of weeks, we were able to not only find out about the University of Louisville Shelbyhurst campus and the space they had available, but we were able to reach a, a ritual agreement with them. So when it seemed like we weren't going to have any place that we could worship together as a church again, God did the impossible, and God showed how great God is. Or even right now, as we are still struggling to come out of the pandemic, and we're not seeing attendance numbers where they were before the pandemic began, and sometimes we look around and we wonder, how big of a difference, what kind of a difference our church is making in the world around us right now? We experience things like I did just a couple of weeks ago. Just a couple of weeks ago, when I was sitting in the office, I got a phone call from a, a lady here in Louisville that has never once set foot inside of a church. But she called the church office because she had heard me preaching on radio. And she said that she explained her situation. She said that she was going through a really tough time, and she remembered listening to a series of sermons that I preached called Overwhelmed. Now, I preached a sermon series back in August, and this phone call came in October. 
So, I don't remember what I preached on in August. I was depressed and somebody else did, me, honestly. But she said, I'm feeling overwhelmed by everything that's happening in my life right now. And I couldn't think of anyone better for me to reach out to than the preacher that I heard preach this series of sermons. So in the time that we spent together talking on the phone, I had a chance to listen to everything that was happening in this person's life. I had the opportunity to minister to her and point her in some directions to help her maybe find the help that she was trying to find. I had the chance to lift her spirits. And I can also tell you that she lifted my spirits as we spoke together on the phone. So even when it sometimes feels like we're not making the difference in the world that we wish we could make, God gives us these little reminders, showing how God is still using us, even when it feels impossible, reminding us of how great our God is. Because sometimes we forget that God does use us in ways that are far beyond what we could possibly begin to comprehend. Now, I was looking at some of the numbers just this past week, and I can tell you that over the last year, we've ministered to people in all 50 states. We've ministered to people from 121 different countries. We've ministered to thousands of people right here in the city of Louisville. Even if we're completely unaware that God is using us to speak hope into their lives. So as we continue on in this new chapter, the story of Mount Heights, as we continue to find out what it means for us to be a church in this new place that we call home, we need to remember these stories. We need to remember what God did for the people of Israel as they stood outside the walls of Jericho. We need to remember what God did for Abraham and Sarah, what God did for the people of Israel as they fled and tried to escape Egypt. We need to remember what God did for David as he stood against Goliath. We need to remember what God has done for us. We need to remember that God makes the impossible possible. Because there are going to be, come, there are going to be times in the coming days and weeks and months and years where we face situations in Melbourne Heights that seem impossible. There are going to be times when we face walls that feel taller than the walls surrounding Jericho, when we see obstacles that it feels like there is no way that we can overcome. But we need to remember that there is no obstacle that God cannot overcome. There is no wall that God cannot knock down. There is nothing that is impossible for God. And if nothing is impossible for God, then we, as God's people, capable of so much more than we can even begin to imagine. But in order for us to accomplish all the things that God wants from us, we've got to be willing to do what the people of Israel did. Even when God asked them to do something that seemed absolutely absurd. When he said, walk around in circles, play music and shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. The people of Israel followed. And because they were willing to follow, God did the impossible with them. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we thank you for all of these stories that we have heard and been reminded of today. We thank you for the story of the people of Israel and the walls of Jericho. We thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah, for the story of the people of Israel escaping Egypt, for the 
story of David fighting Goliath and for the story of Mount Carmel and the way that you've done impossible things for and through this congregation. And God, we know that in all of our lives, not just the life of our church, but all of our lives as individuals, that there are times when we face situations that just seem impossible, obstacles that seem insurmountable for us. And God, even when we face things, challenges, obstacles that seem like we cannot overcome them, that doesn't mean that you can. You are a God that makes the impossible possible. So let us not be Let us trust you. Let us commit ourselves to follow you and see what you can do through us. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you of just how great our God is. Because God does these impossible things to show us that no one besides God could do them to remind us of how great and how powerful our God is. So whenever you're facing a time of transition, whenever you're facing a time of change, whenever the obstacles in front of you seem like they're insurmountable, Remember that nothing is impossible for God. Well, in our next episode, we're going to be finishing up the series called The Promised Land. We're going to be jumping ahead in the book of Joshua to the very end of the book when Joshua gives the people of Israel a choice. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Or you don't have to wait till Tuesday. You can come and join us for worship on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can join us online at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.